Turn your Bibles to Daniel chapter 7. Daniel chapter 7. We've been in the book of Daniel now for uh, some time, since about June. And uh, we're moving through it rather rapidly, but we're about to put it on pause for a while. Because once you get to chapter 7 of Daniel, you just have to go slower. Because you're dealing with content that is a lot more in-depth and complicated to explain and to read and to interpret. But I don't want you to give up. Because we are going to focus on this great portion of Scripture and we're going to explain it as best we can. By the power of the Holy Spirit and by His guidance, we're going to rely on the Lord for clear interpretation to some very difficult passages in Scripture. The title of my message today is, is The Four Beasts and the Final Kingdom. Part 1 of a two-part series in Daniel 7. Part 1 is identifying the four beasts. The four beasts and the final kingdom. You say, boy, what am I in for today? Well, you're in for a treat. You're coming to the, one of the hardest passages in all of Scripture. Turn to Daniel 7, beginning in verse 1. Daniel writes this, In the first year of Belshazzar, king of Babylon, Daniel had a dream and visions of his head while on his bed. And then he wrote down the dream, telling the main facts. Now, the year here is 553 B.C. And you might be wondering, wait a minute, I thought we already got past Belshazzar. We did. In Daniel 6, the chapter before this one, uh, here, let me go in your timeline here. Alright, so in Daniel 6, we met Darius the Mede, the first king of Medo-Persia. That was at about 550, 539 B.C. He took over uh, for King Cyrus who had conquered Babylon. Belshazzar was prior to Darius the Mede. He started in about 553, went all the way to 539. And so chapter 6, we're with Darius the Mede. Chapter 7, we're back with Belshazzar, who we met in chapter 5. You might be wondering, well, why are we going out of order here? And we started with Nebuchadnezzar way over here in around 600 B.C. So we went from... Uh, from uh, am I going the right way for you guys? No, I'm not. I'm not. We, see, we, got, we got Nebuchadnezzar, 600, and after Nebuchadnezzar comes, uh, among many, comes Belshazzar, and after him comes Darius. So we've been moving around in the book of Daniel. Why the change in chronology? Well, the answer is rather simple. In Daniel 1 through 6, you have mainly history. You have mainly a recounting of Daniel's experience with the rulers of Babylon and Persia. But in Daniel 7 to the end of the book, 7 to 12, chapter 7 to 12, you have four specific prophecies that occurred within the historical relationship Daniel had with those kings. So in Daniel 1 through 6, you have history. You have Daniel interacting with the kings of Babylon and Persia. He interacts with Nebuchadnezzar. He interacts with Belshazzar. He interacts with Darius the Mede. And there's prophecy in there, but it also has a lot to do with his uh, guidance and wisdom uh, with those kings. But in Daniel 7, going to the end of the chapter, chapter 12, we find four specific prophecies just in Daniel's own mind that he had from God which he now wants to relay to the Jewish people. And so we come to the first of these four great prophecies. We come 
to verse 2. And I'm going to read it all the way uh, to verse uh, 7. We'll go all the way through and then we'll start back at verse 2. It says this, Daniel spoke saying, I saw in my vision by night, and behold, the four winds of heaven were stirring up the great sea. And four great beasts came up from the sea, each different from the other. The first was like a lion and had eagle's wings. I watched till its wings were plucked off, and it was lifted up from the earth and was made to stand on two feet like a man. And a man's heart was given to it. Verse 5, And suddenly another beast, a second, like a bear, and it was raised up on one side and had three ribs in its mouth between its teeth. And they said thus to it, Arise, devour much flesh. After this I looked, and there was another, like a leopard, which had on its back four wings of a bird. The beast also had four heads, and dominion was given to it. Verse 7, After this, I saw in the night vision, and behold, a fourth beast, dreadful and terrible, exceedingly strong. It had huge iron teeth. It was devouring, breaking in pieces, and trampling the residue with its feet. It was different from all the beasts that were before it. And it had ten horns. We'll stop there. You may notice some similarities with what you've just read in Daniel 7 to an earlier portion of Daniel. Daniel chapter 2. In fact, behind me here we have uh, that statue that we started with, right? And that statue, we see a, a statue of a man. That statue we saw in Daniel chapter 2. Back in Daniel chapter 2, Nebuchadnezzar had a vision. He had a vision of a giant statue, a head of gold, a a breastplate of of silver, thighs of bronze, and feet of, uh, of iron. And Daniel was the only one who could interpret what these four elements to the statue represented. And Daniel made it clear that they were indicative of four world kingdoms. Here we are, fast forward now, from the time of Nebuchadnezzar's vision in the late 500s B.C. And now we go all the way up. Here we are in 553 B.C. with Belshazzar and Daniel has a vision. Only this time, the vision is of four distinct beasts. We have a lion. We have a bear. We have a leopard. And we have a fourth very dreadful and terrible beast. Its, it's exact nature, its exact identity or, or relationship to the animal kingdom is not necessarily clear. Verse 2. Let's zero in now on verse 2. Daniel spoke saying, I saw in my vision by night, and behold, the four winds of heaven were stirring up the great sea, and four great beasts came up from the sea, each different from the other. The first was like a lion and had eagle's wings. I watched till its wings were plucked off and it was lifted up from the earth and made to stand on two feet like a man and a man's heart was given to it. Scholars across the biblical scholarship, across many lines of biblical scholarship, are generally agreed that this first animal, this first lion with eagle's wings on its back, this first lion is none other than the empire of Babylon. Babylon, like the head of gold that Nebuchadnezzar had seen was indicative of him and his kingdom, so also this lion is indicative of the nation of Babylon. There are great similarities between what we read here in chapter 7 about this lion and what we saw earlier 
in chapter 4 about Nebuchadnezzar. Do you notice any of those similarities? The first is this. Uh, Number one is we see this beast turning into a man. So we see this this morphing taking place, don't we? Well, we saw that in chapter 4. We saw Nebuchadnezzar go from a, a regular man and then he was afflicted with a great and terrible and awful disease. And we, we might know it today as boanthropy, uh, which, is, which is when a man believes himself to be an animal. And if you read in Daniel 4, you, or go back over our study, you can read about Nebuchadnezzar's experience there. He, at one point, was a man, a great king, and at another point, he thought himself to be an animal. And he was given the heart of an animal, it says in chapter 4 of Daniel. And he had hair growing on his back, and the nails of his hands grew long. And it was not long after, after he had been humbled, humbled after a great deal of time, humbled by Almighty God and made to, rec- to realize that his kingdom was totally in the hands of God Almighty. It was only at that time of great humility that Nebuchadnezzar returned to the throne and returned to sanity. Humility, and he was once again given the heart of of a man. Here we see in verse 4 this lion, this lion, let's go, uh, sorry, go ahead and go forward one. There we go. The first, like a lion, had eagle's wings. I watched till its wings were plucked off and it was lifted up from the earth and made to stand on two feet like a man, and a man's heart was given to it. And so instead of this lion, this mighty and powerful lion, that beast is lifted up and made to re- remember as, its, as an empire, as a king, that he is but a man. And a man's heart was given to that, that lion. We see here parallels between uh, Nebuchadnezzar's experience in chapter 4 and what we're reading here in chapter 7. So also, this mighty lion with eagle's wings was once mighty and powerful like Nebuchadnezzar. But his wings were plucked and his power was stripped from him. And he was reminded of his frail humanity and made again to stand on two feet like a man. Now we come to verse 5, the next great beast. Verse 5 says this, And suddenly another beast, a second like a bear, and it was raised up on one side and had three ribs in its mouth between its teeth. And they said thus to it, Arise, devour much flesh. Well, if the first beast is almost uniformly considered to be Babylon, then it would seem likely that the second beast uh, that, that conquered the nation of Babylon was none other than the Medo-Persian Empire. And verse 5 has much to commend itself to that interpretation. So the, the first beast, the lion, is Babylon. The second beast, the bear, is Medo-Persia. Medo-Persia. Now, for one, th- th- there's a number of reasons why we think this to be Medo-Persia. For one, it is a bear and not a lion. And in the animal world, a bear is weaker than a lion. Not by much. Not by much. But between the two animals, a bear is considered to be inferior, of course, to the king of the jungle, a great lion. So also, Medo-Persia was not as significant as Babylon. It was not as, uh, uh, not as powerful, not as mighty. It did not have the breadth of the empire that Nebuchadnezzar had. But it was very, very strong. The bear was raised up on one side. You might think of it as as kind of leaned over and displaying one side of its body. What might that indicate? 
Well, Daniel, he only sees one side of the bear, the side that is really the powerful side, the fearful side, the one with the ribs in its mouth. Of course, there were two sides to this bear, and so also there were two aspects to the Medo-Persian Empire. It contained two people groups, but in reality it was one empire, or one, or one side, and, and the one side, excuse me, it was, it was two sides of, of an empire, Media and Persia, but it was one empire, and of course one side of that empire was more powerful and ferocious than the other. King Cyrus of Persia, and like, other, like uh, Xerxes after him, were clearly the dominant side of that two-pronged empire. Thirdly, the bear had three ribs in his mouth and was told to devour much flesh. Well, the early church, we, we can only speculate really what these three ribs indicate. But we might suppose, as the early church father Jerome supposed, that these three ribs are indicative of the three people groups under which Cyrus and Xerxes ruled. They ruled Babylon, they ruled Media, and they ruled Persia the three dominant people groups of the ancient Near East at that time. It may also be the case that there were three groups uh, that, was, that was yet to be conquered, uh, groups like Egypt, uh, Lydia, and uh, there's a third I'm forgetting now. So there's different interpretation to the three ribs. But it does seem very clear that the bear, the lion is Babylon, that the bear is Medo-Persia. Now we come to the third beast. Verse 6. After this I looked... And there was another, like a leopard, which had on his back four wings of a bird. And the beast also had four heads, and dominion was given to it. Well, if the first beast was Babylon, like it said in chapter 2, if the second beast was a bear, like Medo-Persia was indicated in chapter 2, then the third beast must most clearly mean Greece. The parallels to verse 6 in world history are striking. Daniel says he saw a third beast, a leopard. And what qualities, what characteristics, what is the primary characteristic of a leopard? Anyone? Fast. That's right. Speed. Speed. And if, the animal, if a leopard isn't fast enough already, this animal has four wings on its back to make it even faster. Well, only one world empire could be spoken of as having such amazing speed, and it is the empire of Greece. John Walford writes this. He says, With the swiftness of a leopard, Alexander the Great conquered most of the civilized world all the way from Macedonia to Africa and eastward to India. The lightning character of his conquests is without precedent in the ancient world. And this is fully in keeping with the image of speed embodied in the leopard itself and the four wings on its back. The leopard is Greece, like the, uh, like the thighs of bronze in chapter 2. Daniel also indicates that this leopard had four heads. Interestingly enough, and this is a, a well-known fact of Grecian history, Interestingly enough, Alexander the Great, the great mighty conqueror around the time of 336, conquered all the, the, West, or the ancient Near East and the, 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 the Mediterranean world. After his conquests and upon his death, years later, the kingdom of Greece was split between four of his top generals. Ptolemy, Seleucus, Philip, and Antigonus. Four top generals. 
And it's a well-known fact among world historians that the Grecian kingdom went from the mighty uh, rule of Alexander the Great and it was split four distinct ways. And so we see a leopard with four distinct heads, perhaps indicating intelligence or personality. Four distinct aspects to this great world empire. And now we come to verse 7. Verse 7 says this, After this, after this, I saw in the night vision, and behold, a fourth beast, dreadful and terrible, exceedingly strong, and it had huge iron teeth, and it was devouring and breaking in pieces and trampling the residue with its feet. It was different from all the beasts that were before it, and it had ten horns. Ten horns. Actually, let's, uh, let's continue to just the next verse. Let's go to verse 8, if, if you would. And I was considering the horns, and there was another horn, a little one, coming up among them, before whom three of the first horns were plucked out by the roots. So there in this horn were eyes like the eyes of a man, and a mouth speaking pompous words. Do we have that next slide? I may not have gotten that to you. I, I'm sorry. Now, it's on your, uh, out, on your outline there. So take a look at verses 7 and 8. We're looking at verses 7 and 8. As we continue in our studies in Daniel, chapter 7 through 12, we will see why this fourth beast is the empire of Rome. And, and, and it will lead us to a very traditional understanding of these four beasts. The, 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 four, the four orders are these. Number one, it was Babylon. The, 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 the line was indicative of Babylon. Number two, we have Medo-Persia. Number three, we have Greece, the leopard. And number four, we have Rome. And we got some pixels up there, but that's okay. Um, so here we have both indicative of the statue in chapter 2 and indicative of the four beasts in chapter 7. We see uh, cohesiveness. We see uh, a, a nice package, if you will, of how Daniel is presenting this material to, uh, to both even the Gentile world in chapter 2 and also the Jews of chapter 7. Now this order that you see here um, is, a, is a rather traditional order of, of understanding. But it has come under attack. And I want to briefly mention why. Some scholars like to put um, the uh, fourth empire as the nation of Greece. Some scholars like to begin with the nation of Greece. Can we start there? There we go. So they all agree, we're all agreed on Babylon. But some scholars like to say, well, no, let's, let's plug in Greece in the fourth spot. And I'll show why in just a minute. And then what they do is they take Medo-Persia, which really was one kingdom, but they like to split it up. And so they put Medo, the Median Empire, and then they put the Persian Empire as two and three. And this is a, a rather... Uh, 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 this is another order that's offered as an explanation of Daniel 7 and also Daniel 2 for that matter. But it's one that I find lacking. And you might be wondering, well, why, why do people do this? Why, why is there a dispute on the order? Well, remember this. Uh, we maintain, I maintain, that Daniel was written around the time of Daniel's life. That he himself wrote it around 530 B.C. Um, but beginning with the pagan philosopher Porphyry, and we've come up, we've, we've mentioned him before, many other scholars bump the writing of Daniel to about 150 B.C. So there's Porphyry, right? 
pagan philosopher comes along and he says, no, I'm going to say that Daniel was written in 150 B.C. Why? Because in his mind, mankind is not capable of receiving divine revelation. In Porphyry's mind, among, among the many reasons why he dated it in 150, it was that he didn't believe in predictive prophecy. He didn't believe that a person could receive a revelation from God and know the future. And so, what did Porphyry have to do in order to make sense of this 150 B.C. date of Daniel? He had to stick Greece in the number four spot. Let's pull it back up. He had to stick Greece there. You know why? Because if Rome was there, then even at the date of 150, the Roman Empire would have still been later. And so a man like Porphyry and others like him, they have to plug in the nation, the empire of Greece into that fourth slot. And of course they bring up then Media and Persia in the two and three spot. But this view is found wanting. This view is found lacking. Rome, if, if uh, Greece cannot be the fourth kingdom, and I want to show you a few reasons why. There are many arguments as to why Greece cannot be the fourth kingdom. The first is this. The Medes, the Median Empire, they never independently challenged Babylon's rule. As a matter of history, as a matter of fact, the Medes never challenged Babylon. It did not, there, there was no setting in the ancient Near East in which Babylon was conquered or defeated by the, Medi, the Median people. It never happened. Secondly, what was of consequence after Babylon was Cyrus of Persia. Persia is the one who conquered the Medes and together the Medo-Persian Medo Empire conquered Babylon. Again, as a matter of history, this can be demonstrated. It was not the Medes who conquered Babylon, it was Cyrus of Persia bringing alongside the Medes with him to conquer Babylon. Third, and most notably, in my opinion, Alexander the Great. His conquests were extensive, no doubt. But they were not unusually cruel, like that described in Daniel 7.7. Indeed, Greece, like Persia before her, was well known for assimilating other people groups into its language and culture. Remember, in verse 7 it said, I saw in the night vision, and behold, a fourth beast, dreadful, terrible, exceedingly strong, huge iron teeth, devouring, breaking in pieces, trampling the residue with its feet. It was different from all the beasts that were before it, and it had ten horns. It is extremely unlikely that that is a description of Greece, especially considering the leopard and the speed with which the leopard moves as the third beast in Daniel 7. The, the characteristics of this final empire in verse 7 of chapter 7 simply cannot be the empire of Greece. It doesn't add up. In the, in the end, the order... Um, is, is rather settled. And it was settled really throughout uh, the ages uh, up until the time of Porphyry. But in the end, Rome, Rome, ladies and gentlemen, was a dreadful and terrible nation. Far superior to that of even Alexander the Great's conquests. And H.C. Uh, Leopold, he writes this. He says this, Rome could never, never get enough of conquest. Rivals like Carthage just had to be broken. 
Carthago delende est. Carthage must be destroyed. Rome has no interest in raising the conquered nations to any high level of development. All her designs were imperial. Let the nations be crushed and stamped underfoot. That was not, that was not the intent of Alexander the Great. Alexander the Great was a man of great culture, a man of, of, of great art and culture and music. And wherever he went, as ferocious of a conqueror as he was, wherever he went, he brought with him the culture of the Greeks. He brought with them the culture and the language, Hellenizing all of the ancient Near East, by the way, so that when Jesus came along and the apostles came along, they could write in a language that everyone could read, the language of Greek. That was Alexander, but Rome, far different. Rome was the ferocious empire. Rome were the the men of no mercy. And so, in my opinion, humble opinion, the order here is settled, friends. It is Babylon the lion, the head of gold. It is Medo-Persia, the bear, the breastplate, of, uh, the breast, uh, the chest of silver. It is Greece, the leopard, the bronze thighs. And it is Rome, the dreadful beast, the legs of iron. In the end, any attempt to force Greece, as the interpretation of the fourth beast in Daniel 7, is done out of a desire to eliminate the idea that the book of Daniel contains prophecy. I simply cannot accept that to be true. So let's go again to verse uh, uh, 7 and 8. 7 and 8. We come to verses 7 and 8. We find out that Rome is the fourth beast. Rome is the empire that was considered to be both dreadful and terrible. Rome is the beast with iron teeth. The Roman army were the ones who devoured and broke in pieces their enemies, trampling them with their feet. Rome is unique, different from all the beasts that preceded her. And this beast, this final, dreadful beast of Rome, is said to have ten horns upon its head. As time goes by, another horn is going to rise up. But first, let's think about those ten horns just for a minute. Um, If you recall chapter 2, where did you see the number ten on the statue? You saw it in the toes, right? You had... The head of gold, Babylon. The chest of silver, made of Persia. The bronze thighs, Greece. The legs of iron, Rome. And then you had the toes that is mentioned in Daniel chapter 2 in the vision of Nebuchadnezzar. What do the ten toes represent? Go back to Daniel 2. We talked about it a little bit. I won't, I won't give it away because we're going to get to it soon. But now we have ten horns upon a fourth and dreadful beast. And so the parallels here are very, very clear where we're headed. Not only did this beast have ten horns, as time goes by, another horn, a small horn, rises up, knocking out three horns that preceded it. And this horn is given human qualities. It has eyes like a man. It has a mouth that speaks proud and pompous words. We'll consider these features in just a moment. But first, jump over to verse 9. Verse 9, to the end of our uh, time this morning. I watched, Daniel writes, I watched till thrones were put in place and the Ancient of Days was seated and His garment was white as snow. The hair of His head was like pure wool. His throne was a fiery flame. Its wheels a burning flame, a burning fire. A fiery stream issued and came forth from before Him. A thousand thousands ministered to Him. Ten thousand times ten thousand stood before Him. The court was seated and the books were opened. And I watched... 
I watched, verse 11, uh, I watched then because of the sound of the pompous words which the horn, the little horn was speaking, I watched till the beast was slain and its body destroyed and given to the burning flame. Now wait a second. We're we're pausing in an awkward spot. But we'll get to the rest of Daniel 7 next week. But hold on just a minute. We've come to a very uh, fascinating marker in time. And it's quite a jump. Now remember, first beast, Babylon. Right? Babylon. 600, 539 B.C., Babylon, Nebuchadnezzar, first beast, conquered by Medo-Persia. Immediately, 539, boom, in comes Cyrus. Medo-Persian Empire, the, the bear, the chest of silver, conquered by Greece, Alexander the Great. Immediately, Persia was wiped out. Alexander comes in. Hellenizes all the ancient Near East and the Mediterranean world, bringing in Greek language and culture Thighs of bronze, a leopard indicating the swiftness of his, of his reign. Finally, Rome. Rome wipes out the Grecian Empire and becomes the dominant force in all the ancient world. Happens overnight. Not, not overnight, but it happens sequentially. Boom, boom, boom. We've got Babylon, Medo-Persia, Greece, then Rome. And then, we're up in heaven. Aren't we? Look at verse 9. I watched, Daniel says, I watched till thrones were put in place and the Ancient of Days was seated. We're going to find out this is God the Father. His garment was white as snow. The hair of His head was like pure wool. His throne was a fiery flame. Its wheels a burning fire. A fiery stream issued and came forth from before Him. A thousand thousands ministered to Him. Speaking of angels, ten thousand times ten thousand stood before Him. The court was seated. The books were opened. I turn your attention to the end of Revelation when the books were opened at the great white throne judgment. I watched then because of the sound of the pompous words which the horn was speaking. I watched till the beast was slain and its body destroyed and given to the burning flame. So we have four beasts. All four kingdoms occurring one after the other No delays, no stoppages of time. After Babylon came Persia. After Persia came Greece. After Greece came Rome. After Rome came heaven? Is that what happened next? It is said that the fourth beast, that is Rome, was judged and executed according to the vision of Daniel. Judged and executed then and there by Almighty God And his body was sent to the burning flame. Now if Daniel's prophecy is true, then surely, surely we need to try and make sense of this statement about the fate of the final world empire and of its final king. But can it be said, can it be said that God Almighty destroyed Rome? little history of Rome. Rome came to power in the mid uh, 200s B.C., beginning with victories at the, in the Punic Wars. From there, uh, after <clears throat> even the time of Jesus, Rome continued to expand on into the early part of the 2nd century A.D. Uh, but as the time of the Caesars ceased, 
Rome's power gradually began to erode. And I emphasize the word gradually. Little by little, they began to lose outlying territories by invading Germanic tribes. And by 410, BC, or 410 AD, Rome was sacked by the Visigoths. Still, even after the capital was raised in 410 AD, the Roman people and culture continued on for over a millennia until the time of 1453 when Mehmed II or Mohammed II came in and conquered Constantinople. Eventually it was renamed Istanbul, Turkey. And there you have it. About 1,700 years of the Roman Empire, beginning in the mid-200s B.C. all the way to 1453. A rise to power that began slowly, but grew fierce, and an erosion of power that went on for over a millennia. Rome was not conquered in an instant, like we see here in Daniel 7.11. Nor was there a notable Roman ruler who could be said to be judged by Almighty God in the manner described here. Rome had many great, terrible rulers, including Caligula, Nero, Domitian, Diocletian. Take your pick. Who's the, who's the pompous uh, horn in Daniel 7? Who is this one horn that rises up, plucks three out among the ten, and begins to speak these proud and pompous words against God Almighty? Who is it? Take your pick among the Caesars. Take your pick among the emperors of Rome. You could pick any one of them. And none of them have an end quite like the one we see here in Daniel 7. So, what do we make of this? If Rome's judgment was slow and gradual, and yet Daniel says it was finished overnight by the Lord, if Rome's rulers never appeared to have this final, utter judgment by Almighty God, and all history attests to that, then how do we make sense of Daniel's prophecy here? How does Daniel go from looking at Babylon to Persia to Greece to Rome to heaven? How do we get there? Today, we're only going to get a hint of the answer. And I hope it will whet our appetite for next week, part two. But today, how do we get from the fourth beast to the heavenly throne room? The answer is to be found later in the book of Daniel, but also in a vision by another man some 600 years after the time of Daniel. Another man by the name of John, who also had a vision while imprisoned on an island. And his vision has striking parallels to the one we read in Daniel 7. Take a look. Then I stood, John, John writes in Revelation 13, on the sand of the sea, and I saw a beast rising out of the sea, having seven heads, ten horns, and on his horns ten crowns, and on his head a blasphemous name. Now the beast which I saw was like a leopard, his feet were like the feet of a bear, his mouth like the mouth of a lion, and the dragon, that is Satan, gave him his power, his throne, and great authority. And he was given a mouth, speaking great things and blasphemies. And he was given authority to continue for 42 months. Then he opened his mouth in blasphemy against God to blaspheme his name, his tabernacle, and those who dwell in heaven. 
Fascinating, isn't it? A beast rising out of the sea, just like Daniel 7. Having ten horns, just like Daniel's vision. Like a leopard, Greece. Like the feet of a bear, the power of Persia. Like the mouth of a lion, the ferociousness of Babylon. And he was given a mouth speaking great things and blasphemies, or Daniel 7 would call them pompous words. It was said in Daniel 7 that this fourth beast, the fourth world empire, would be exceedingly more powerful and influential than any of the kingdoms that preceded it. You might say that the fourth kingdom would encompass not just one, but all of the greatest qualities of the kingdoms that preceded it. And isn't it fascinating that in Revelation 13, John sees a beast just like Daniel did, a beast coming out of the sea just like Daniel did, a beast having ten horns just like Daniel saw, having all of the greatest qualities of the kingdoms that preceded it. The speed of a leopard, Greece. The strong feet of the Persian bear. The powerful mouth of the Babylonian lion. And just like Daniel saw a proud and arrogant representative of that kingdom speaking pompous words against Almighty God, so also John saw that this beast was given a mouth to speak great things and blasphemies. In blasphemy against God, to blaspheme His name, His tabernacle, and those who dwell in heaven. The parallels are too numerous to count. And they are ample evidence of the cohesiveness of Scripture. We'll learn more about the identity of this final world ruler and kingdom next week. So I'm going to hold it right there. But I want to give you three closing thoughts. Three things to take with you as you walk away today from a very deep and in-depth study. Number one, Daniel foresaw the coming great kingdoms of this world. His prophecies are strikingly accurate and give us confidence in the authority of God's Word. Write that down. Number two, Daniel also foresaw the end in which God will judge the rulers and people of this world. And only those, we know from the teaching of Christ, that only those who believe in Jesus will avoid the judgment of God. Read John 5.24. Do you believe in Christ? You will not face this judgment. Fear not. Number three, never, and I mean never, give up in striving to interpret God's Word. Obscure passages can always be made clear by considering other verses near it or passages in other books of the Bible. You know, that's the lesson here of this fourth kingdom in Daniel 7. For an untrained eye, we would come across Daniel 7 and and we would start pulling our hair out saying, I don't know what this means, but stay with it. As we continue to read through Daniel, as we compare Scripture with Scripture, the eyes of understanding will come. And so as we enter into the most difficult portions, some of the most difficult portions in all of Scripture, I encourage you to not give up. Hang with it. You will find both within the book of Daniel and outside with other passages in the Scriptures, you will find the interpretation that makes good and clear sense. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, we thank You, Lord, for this time together. Lord, it's a, it's a tall order what we are studying now. And God, uh, I want to approach it with such great humility, Lord. We do not want to presume to know assuredly uh, or, or to speak proudly of interpreting Your Word. Instead, Lord, we want to put ourselves under the mercy of Your Spirit 
It is only by Your Spirit that we can be given eyes of understanding to see clearly into Your Word. Lord, as we approach this fourth and final kingdom and try to determine what its relationship to Rome is, we pray that You give us clarity of mind. And let it also, Father, be a moment of anticipation. Lord, we are coming, it seems to so many of us, we are coming to the end of days. And as we look around the world, things are lining up. Nations are aligning uh, in, in, in different coalitions that speak to what Your Word says is to come. And Israel is under attack. And there is persecution of so many of the saints. Father, may this study in Daniel remind us that in the end, the Ancient of Days will be seated and the Son of Man will come with the clouds of heaven and all will be made right. We look forward to that day. In Christ our Lord's name, Amen.